This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Hello and welcome to Where Parents Talk here on 105.9 The Region. Thanks for joining us. I'm Leanne Castellino. The root causes range from loneliness and bullying to fears about the future, including climate change, violence, and racism, fueled in large part by social media. Youth mental health is a global epidemic. According to the World Health Organization, supportive parenting, a secure home life, and a positive learning environment in school are key to strengthening and safeguarding the mental wellness of children and youth. Our guest today works at the intersection of education, social work, and youth development. Stephanie Malia Krauss is also a strategist who has worked with organizations from not-for-profits and schools to government. She's also a mother and an author. Her latest book is called Whole Child, Whole Life, 10 Ways to Help Kids Live, Learn, and Thrive. Stephanie joins us today from just outside St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you for being here. Leanne, it's an absolute pleasure to be with you today. You bring a deeply layered perspective to the topic of youth mental health and the disturbing statistics that we hear about every day involving children and young people around the world and the struggles many of them are facing. Let me start by asking you, what is your assessment of the global epidemic of youth mental health? I think it is exactly as you've described it, in the same way that we came to understand a global health, physical health pandemic um, beginning in 2020, we have to now understand that our rates of global mental health challenge for our kids have reached a level where most young people are directly impacted. Um, So what that means is that for those of us who are raising kids, it is quite possible that um, however many children we have, they will have a mental health challenge. And that could be diagnosable as a mental health disorder or mental health illness, um, or face some kind of mental health crisis at any point. So our in the United States, uh, we have an association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and our US Surgeon General, they came out back in 2021 and said, this is a national emergency. It requires all hands on deck. Um, we need more supports and services and interventions. And at the same time, globally, we see that young people who are in crisis don't always have the available services that they need. So again, think about the pandemic when our hospitals, when the virus was surging and hospitals were at capacity and people couldn't get the medical care they needed. One of the changes that we're seeing here that I think is important for parents to know is that unfortunately, rates of mental health challenge among children and youth have been increasing over the past few years. The real crisis is that those numbers are continuing to increase, meaning more kids are struggling, but we don't have more adults who are appropriately trained and available to support and serve them. I want to break down and unpack 
some of what you said there. Uh, first of all, with the whole idea of this problem requiring all hands on deck, the Surgeon General has said it. You also believe that that is the case. What does that look like to you? So for me, I think that any adult who is working with and raising young people, they need a level of mental health training that is equivalent to becoming a first responder, taking first aid or CPR courses. As we we know how to um, give somebody medicine if they have a headache or if they have a fever, we know how to handle minor scratches and bruises. And so on the one hand, it's recognizing that historically we have often said, well, let's save it for the professionals. This requires professional care. So once again, I want to bring it into this medical model. There is always a need for qualified professional health care. In this case, mental health care. If a young person needs psychiatric treatment and evaluation, if a young person needs emergency room care, a qualified um therapist or counselor, sometimes in particular specialties for what they're struggling with, like anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder or depression. At the same time, our rates are so high with really no sign of decrease that if kids are in our care for any period of time, whether we are parents and caregivers, coaches, counselors, teachers, or some combination of those roles, we have to get trained in what the signs and symptoms are that something is wrong and then trained in what to do about it. There's actually a global program called Mental Health First Aid. It's often provided for free. Uh, teenagers can also be trained in it. And so that's the first piece. How do I respond to crisis and a moment where a young person may need immediate intervention and help? The other piece of it, though, for parents and where I try to really pay attention as a parent myself is emotional wound care or emotional hygiene. So in the same way that we teach our kids how to brush their teeth and how they get changed and how to stay clean, we need to find those equivalents for how do they keep themselves kind of emotionally fit and strong during the day and what are the practices that work for them the last part of that emotional wound care is if you think about young people at school or in any kind of social environment they get emotionally hurt and wounded more often than they get physically hurt and wounded and so that might not rise to the level of needing professional care because that could be rejection humiliation embarrassment um, struggling to focus or pay attention, but it does require specific support and strategies that work. And so in the same way that we would learn how to tend to physical wounds, we need to learn how to tend to emotional wounds, ones that rise up to the level of emergency, and then ones that are every day. You started your career as a teacher, then added social work, youth development, and author to your resume. What makes your perspective on this topic so different? So as you mentioned, my background began professionally and officially in 
education as a teacher. I actually started in pre-K, so the preschool early childhood years, and then went up to fifth grade, coached middle school sports, and then went on to run a high school or secondary school. But before that, even, I was um, a resident advisor when I was in university. I was a coach of sports as a young person myself. I ended up leaving teaching to go and get a degree in social work because I knew that there were so many issues that were impacting my kids and their families that I didn't have the knowledge and training to take on myself. And it was a really big gap. So I had gone through and gotten my education to become a teacher, but that education focused on curriculum and instruction and behavior management. That curriculum did not include training on mental health or human development or community and family engagement. And unfortunately at that time, and this was some time ago, I thought that I actually had to leave the profession in order to get that education. And so I left the career entirely. I ended up becoming a house parent at a residential boarding school in order to pay for my graduate degree and went to social work school where I learned all of these things that would have benefited me in the classroom. I learned how to really understand the social structures and economic realities that my kids and families were experiencing, the impact of poverty and trauma. I learned about um, how to work with individuals and families on conflict negotiation and intergroup dialogue. And so from that experience, I did end up running a school, but I ran a school for young people who did not succeed in the traditional environment. So they were older and um, in the States at the time, we called them disconnected youth. They couldn't stay connected, stay and succeed in school overwhelmingly because of life issues. They were parents themselves. They were helping to raise siblings. They were um, involved in the child welfare system, had been arrested, uh, any number of things. And in that environment, Leanne, I saw the degree to which life and learning really intersect. I knew it when I was a fifth grade teacher. I studied it when I left for social work school. But here I was seeing the end of this pipeline at the end of secondary school where young people wanted to learn and complete their degree and they couldn't because life had happened. And so since then, in the years since I was on what I call the education front lines, I've become a mom myself. Um, I've also worked in higher education and workforce development. And so it's given me this kind of full range of perspectives across science and disciplines, where I've recognized that each of the spaces has training and information that the other spaces need. And that when we think about taking care of our children, we need them to be ready, which I think education does a good job of thinking about. We also need them to be well, which I think our counseling and social work fields and disciplines do a good job thinking about. But for us who are caregivers, we need to be cross-trained across those spaces. This is Where Parents Talk. I'm Leanne Castellino in conversation with Stephanie Malia Krauss, educator, social worker, author, and mom. Her book is called Whole Child, Whole Life. Stephanie, what inspired you to write Whole Child, Whole Life? Whole Child, Whole Life is a love letter back to parents to say, 
actually there is a way for our kids to be well, even as times are hard. And here's what we can see across history and culture and context are the practices and principles that have always supported young people's ability to thrive. And then I wrote the book to any adult who is working with caring for or raising kids because I want anybody who is interfacing with my children to have that same knowledge in cross-training. Earlier this morning, I went to my kid's summer camp and trained all of these young counselors on these whole life practices from the book because what I wrote about is what I desperately want all of the caretakers who have a responsibility for my own children to know and to consider and to practice in the same way that I am trying to know and consider and practice that information. Time for a short break. Where Parents Talk will return in a moment. Stay with us. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. Recent statistics show the suicide rate for kids between 10 and 19 years old in the United States increased by 40% between 2001 to 2019. At the same time, emergency room visits for acts of self-harm vaulted by 88%. We are talking about evidence-based practices to support youth mental health with our guest, Stephanie Malia Kraus, educator, social worker, author, and mom. Stephanie, I'd like to delve a little deeper into some of the practices outlined in your book by looking first at the research. Take us through some of the science that you uncovered that perhaps even surprised you that you think parents really need to know about. The book covers the science of learning and development child and youth development, but also lifespan development. So it considers longevity. What is it that needs to happen in childhood that kids need right now? And what is it that we need to attend to in childhood that will continue to support them throughout their lives? What happens developmentally that is different for young children versus tweens and teens? And what has that experience been? How do we support young people in those transitions as they get older? It also looked at the science of flourishing and thriving, um, resiliency, trauma, and stress. I think some of the things that um, fellow parents need to consider, one is that stress and trauma are very unfortunately, fixtures in our kids' lives. This is a stressful time to be growing up. And we all know it's a stressful time to be parenting as well. Um, And trauma can happen at all different levels, but even the experience of enduring a pandemic was really traumatic. Um, And some of those have residual impacts. So in the same way that years ago, we started talking about the need for young people to have life skills, we have to actually realize that stress management and 
recognizing the signs of trauma or grief or loss and what to do with them are a part of the package of life skills that our young people need desperately, that our kids need desperately. So for that piece, I would say to anybody who's listening or watching, stress is a normal part of life. And our kids are experiencing very high levels. We cannot necessarily reduce it as much as we would want, but we can teach them to manage it, which is really important. So related to that, particularly for tweens and teens, is this idea of cognitive fitness, which I really loved. So technology is so significantly different than it was when, at least when I was growing up, for sure. And I'm sure many of your listeners as well. And the technology that young people are on, particularly on their phones, are designed for usership, repeat use, not designed with their well-being in mind. That technology actually uses casino, um, the sort of science behind casino addiction, um, multiple repeat use. And uh, the science has shown that actually notifications for teenagers and for tweens can be as powerful as a crack addict wanting crack. Um, so really hard drugs, that temptation. And so we also need to attend to the realities of what that technology has some wonderful opportunities for kids, but it could turn the lights on for addictive behaviors um, and for compulsive behaviors much earlier than than they would have experienced. And so for us as parents, we really need to know and learn what the signs are of addiction and recognize that kids need help being able to turn on and off the device. So the last thing I'll say relates to that, which is they now have discovered researchers and scientists that adolescence, so that's that period that Leanne, I know you focus on. Um, so kind of the onset of puberty, which at this point is like 11-ish, all the way through now the mid 20, so age 25, that period is as intense a period of growth and development as early childhood is. So we used to think that those early years where we really know all of the neural synapses are firing and connecting and kids are learning so much that that's only wave one, that there is a second wave of that that happens 11 to 25. And so that level of exploration and identity development and human development and learning is really powerful. At the same time, the limitation is that the front part of the brain responsible for executive functioning, skills like self-control, emotional regulation, focus, paying attention, staying organized, is it's not fully formed until the mid-20s. And when there's stress and when there's trauma, which we just talked about, it kind of pulls the energy away from the front of the brain, and it makes it even harder to engage those skills. So if a young person is stressed or has experienced something traumatic or is dealing or healing from that, it's going to be extremely difficult to control emotions, to make decisions, to pay attention, to focus. I say that because I think very often we expect those behaviors, we think of those behaviors and skills as being a well-behaved 
young person, a good student, a focused athlete. And actually, there is both the developmental and the experiential reality that those skills are extra hard right now. If you were to add in a kid has an attention um, disorder or difference, it's going to be even harder. And so we have to sort of pause and get curious when we see that those executive functioning skills aren't happening, reminding ourselves that they're not supposed to be fully developed yet. And then asking what are the kinds of tips or tricks or tools that we can teach our kids to help them while they're still under construction. So much in what you just said there. And, and, you know, I'm wondering if we can look at breaking some of that down. You talk about stress, you talk about trauma, and you talk about parents being equipped with the skills to help support their kids with, with those two issues, among others. Firstly, could you take us through some of the other key issues that are facing youth today, contributing to this global epidemic of youth mental challenges? And then we'll get into um, what kind of tools parents can look at in terms of addressing those issues with their kids. So what we know from the science and the research is that young people are wired and rewired based on their experience and their environments. And so if their experience and their environment tell them the world is an unsafe place, then they're going to develop anxiety and fear and apprehension because the world is an unsafe place. If their experience or environment tell them life is precarious and precious, someone I love can be taken from me, I'm thinking of the pandemic in particular, then there is going to be issues with attachment. Why that I don't wanna let you go or social anxiety, or I don't wanna leave home. So one of the things that we see with our kids of all ages. So whenever I talk about kids, I really am talking sort of birth to 20, um, is that the wiring and rewiring that has been happening over the past few years, very often hovers around this idea that there are risks and threats to my life and to my family and to our livelihood. And so there's this deep need for safety and security and stability. So the sadness in that, the grief in that as a parent is that life and school and community can be a scary place for our kids. The hope in that is we may not be able to promise them that global politics will get better or that there won't be another pandemic. These are promises we can't make. But what we can create are the conditions inside of our relationships and in our homes where they have safety and security and stability and can thrive. We already talked about technology. Technology is absolutely an accelerant of some challenges because there are so many social interactions that happen there. The platforms, again, are not designed with youth well-being in mind, and so it can activate things physically, mentally, emotionally. And then the other piece, which is just an important reminder, is that our kids spent more than two years in a pandemic context. Learning and development are inherently social and emotional. 
And so what we see is that our kids, this generation are growing up fast and slow. Their life experience has aged them, but the stage of development has not kept pace. So they're older, you know, they've, they've grown up in uh, too fast by what they've seen and experienced, but they didn't hit all of the developmental milestones that they would have if they had been in a, in a more typical um, social context and emotional relationships, which means we have to kind of reconfigure what we expect for where they'll be for being a particular age or being at a particular space. And that might come with emotional volatility or things that surprise us. I have a tween and I realized he didn't learn to tie his shoes because we were at home and we just were wearing slip-on shoes. So it's small things that are funny all the way to the bigger things that really need attention. We are in conversation with Stephanie Malia Kraus, teacher, social worker, and author. Stephanie, could you give us a sense for families who are struggling, who may find themselves with a child who potentially has a mental health challenge that they may or may not even be aware of? What could a reasonable and realistic starting point be for a parent or caregiver to support that child? So if we think about mental health as health and services and supports as a part of health care, we have to think about what can be managed at home, and what do we proactively do at home? So when I moved to my new town, I proactively found who the pediatricians were in the community, and then I crowdsourced, what did people think of those pediatricians? I called the offices who had who was taking new patients. I figured out which children's emergency rooms would go to if there was an emergency? What did people think of the area hospitals? Um, I set up in our house, we had resources and medications if we needed them. So if we transfer that or translate it over to a mental health context, the first thing is a parent who has children of any age to do what we do physically, which is We have some sense of where they should be. We know if they're not growing or gaining weight the way that they should. We have a sense if they're not eating the way that they should. So we have to educate ourselves. This is reading books, reading articles, going online, but educate ourselves on what are some signs and symptoms of illness and also what are the good things? This is all of the whole life practices in the book are really the, the good things like nurturing healthy relationships and building community and belonging that we need to prioritize um, in our kids' friendships and the activities that they do and what their experiences are. The second thing is we actually should have an emergency plan before we need it. One of my children has asthma and we have an emergency action plan Um, and he hasn't needed it, thank goodness, in years, but we still have it. Having a plan before an emergency happens is such an important thing because it's a very emotional and difficult time when you are in crisis and to know that you already know where you would go, who you would call, who you would talk to is a really empowering aspect of parenting in the middle of a mental health pandemic. 
The third thing is to consider getting yourself trained in mental health first aid, or even just going online and figuring out what the steps are and kind of walking or talking through it. If you have a partner, you have other adults who are um, in your child's life. I think the last part that I'll point out is grading experiences where our young people, our kids can just be kids and can relax and play, enjoy, unplug. Because a part of supporting their mental health, not a part, a huge portion of it is promoting their well-being. And giving them space to heal and giving them space to be in healthy environments where they can just enjoy. Lots of important food for thought to consider. The book is called Whole Child, Whole Life. Stephanie Malia Kraus, thank you for sharing your insight with us today. Thanks, Leanne, so much. That is our time for this edition of Where Parents Talk. The podcast and video version of this interview can be found at whereparentstalk.com. Thanks so much for listening. Till next time, I'm Leanne Castellino. Happy parenting. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.